Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you. Amen. Our text for the sermon comes from 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 25. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In the name of Jesus, the good shepherd, who knows his own, is known by them, gives unto them eternal life, dear fellow redeemed. The great British theologian and preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, The mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. In the common vernacular, we might evaluate a leader with the question, they talk the talk, but do they walk the walk? Unfortunately, the answer to this question is very rarely yes, particularly among Christians. We find leaders who say one thing and do another. Pastors who waste away the week with TV shows and recreational activities who then climb into the pulpit on Sunday to preach on living our lives for Christ. Lay members who speak often of how much they love and appreciate their church and the other members of the congregation, but show up for worship and Bible class only when it's convenient. I wouldn't go so far as to say that there are no good examples in the church, but if we spend most of our time taking our lead from fellow sinners, we will find those examples lacking more often than not. That's why it's so important for us to remember that we only have the one perfect example to follow, our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. To help remind and encourage us to follow the footsteps of him who went the way of the cross for us, on this Good Shepherd Sunday, we will be pondering this theme. His leadership leads his sheep. He shows us how to die to sin. He shows us how to live for righteousness. And he shows us how to suffer in patience. May the Spirit work in us this morning to see, appreciate, and follow the example of him who truly did practice what he preached. I don't know if any of you have been following the Seattle Mariners team recently, but they've been losing a lot of games because of mistakes. The players are missing routine throws, getting caught standing too far off base, chasing a lot of pitches that are way too far off home plate for anyone to hit. As a result, a lot of the post-game press conferences have been in the same theme. We just have to do better. And the temptation for us to look at the problems in church, uh, the church faces today and say the same thing. 
The pastor isn't leading by example like he should. He just has to do better. Or I'm not following good Christian examples around me. I just have to do better. But as we seek to die to sin, to eliminate sin from our lives, and to lead God-pleasing lives to His glory, this knuckle down and pull yourself up by your bootstraps approach is never going to really work. And so we look to the leadership of our good shepherd to see how it's done. In verses 22 and 24 of our text, speaking of Jesus, it says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who himself bore our sins on his, in his own body on the tree. We ought to follow Christ's example here, committing no sin ourselves and not allowing any deceit from our lips. But the reality is we've already failed. And we fail every day in this. Verse 25 describes us as sheep going astray. The we just have to do better attitude leads to one of only two conclusions. Either a false pride in thinking that we were successful in leading a sinless existence or deep despair when we recognize that we aren't capable of it. And so we look to Jesus. And when his leadership leads his sheep, we see exactly how we are, have already died to sin. As we read, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. If Jesus just said, here's what I did, now you have to do that in order to be saved, that would be the law in which we would find no salvation. Paul writes in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Instead, Jesus gives us the blessed gospel, of which we are the beneficiaries only and not in any way contributors. Paul again writes in Ephesians 2, For by, the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus shows us how to die to sin by telling us that he died for sin. As we read in our, read in our gospel lesson, John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he did just that. He lived the perfect life of obedience that we could not. He died the horrific death that we deserved. He suffered hell itself for our stead. And then when Jesus had given his life for our sins and rose again in victory, he revealed to his apostles the way, the way that they and we die to sin when he said in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ's righteousness is something that is believed before we can ever have a truly God-pleasing desire to emulate it. By sending out the Spirit to, through word and sacrament, create faith in the hearts of lost sinners like you and me, his leadership leads his sheep 
to the promise of eternal life. Having made us dead to sin then through his perfect sacrifice on the cross, Jesus now leads the way for us to live for righteousness. Verse 21 and the second half of 24. For to us, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. This is especially highlighting in our text when Peter writes that we have been, through Christ's redeeming work, returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. When we live for righteousness, we follow in the footsteps of our good shepherd. He instructs us, to live our lives in righteousness, no longer under the threat of the law, but under the grace of forgiveness. Jesus kept his father's law out of love and reverence for him, and we have the privilege privilege of doing the same. Paul explains this a little more for us in Romans 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Those who are justified and made righteous through the blood of the Lamb of God strive to live God-pleasing lives in, the righteousness, in righteousness because of the Holy Spirit has created faith in us, which desires to do so to his glory. As a result, we see the fruits of faith in and among us, the product of our good shepherd's leadership. It's a wonderful self-renewing cycle that the Christian trusts what God's word says about what is good and right and pure and does that thing out of selfless love and obedience to him who saved us. And then God's perfect righteousness is further revealed and our faith is further strengthened to continue in this life of righteousness. Christ's leadership gives us momentum as we continue living for him so that we may be more effective witnesses and servants of his here on this earth. So take the second commandment, for example. When we are remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, we see the many blessings and benefits of joining together with brothers and sisters in regular worship, in prayer and praise. We are edified and encouraged through this to continue doing it and find more opportunities to do so. All the while, God pours out his blessings upon this God-pleasing righteousness, not because we have earned it, but because he was the one who made it happen in the first place, who, was, who has promised to bless our efforts. Or take the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, where God protects marriage. Our God, good shepherd leads us to obey this, and we are blessed with solid, nuclear, Christ-centered family units with children. Or the ninth and tenth commandments, thou shalt not covet, through which we grow in contentment, joy, and peace, as we learn not to set our hearts on earthly things, but on heavenly things. 
The Lord leads us to follow the commandments by faith. We see his blessings on our righteous works. Again, the fruit of faith and not any merit of our own. And our faith grows to do it more. Jesus is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls in this project. We learn how to do these things by looking at how he kept the Sabbath holy, how he proclaimed the sanctity of marriage, and how he did not covet and was content with what his father blessed him with. Where any human example has failed countless of times to do this, Christ's example never did. His leadership leads the sheep. And now we get to the tough part. His leadership shows us how to suffer in patience. I'm going to back up a bit and, uh, for context and read to you 1 Peter 2, verses 19 to 21 and 23. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also the harsh. For this, is for this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So did you know that? You're called to suffer. You are called to endure hardship, harsh masters, grief, wrongdoing, and all matter of other sufferings. And all the while, God has called you to follow Christ's leadership, not reviling those who revile you, not threatening those who bring you sorrow, but committing yourself to God who judges righteously. And since we don't have Psalm 23 as our psalm of the day, our service had us sing it, which we did just before the sermon. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. That sounds like a far cry from the suffering that you're called to endure, doesn't it? But the beautiful thing is that God enables these two scenes to exist within you simultaneously. While outwardly you endure the drought of grief, inwardly your good shepherd makes you lie down in lush, green pastures, because your Savior provides your every need of body and soul. While outwardly you do good and suffer for it, inwardly he is leading you beside the still waters of his word, revealing peace and comfort through the cross of Christ. Like the disciples on the stormy sea of Galilee, everything around us rages, but inwardly those winds and waves cannot touch our hope so long as Christ is with us. Even when our end approaches, even when nothing can disturb the serenity that comes with the knowledge that our good shepherd leads us, 
Even when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, even there, his rod and his staff comforts us. Yes, you are called to suffer, but you can rejoice in it. Your suffering is commendable to God. He will give you patience to bear it. He will lead his sheep to their heavenly pasture. Jesus talked the talk and he walked the walk. He practiced exactly what he preached. And when you keep your eyes fixed on him, our good shepherd, you can too. His leadership leads his sheep. By looking to Christ as our example, we learn how we have died to sin through his atoning death. We learn to live in righteousness and are blessed in and through these spirit-worked efforts. And we learn to suffer in patience, knowing that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits. May the Spirit strengthen us so that the message we preach here today may be what we practice today, tomorrow, and every day. And may our righteous living to God's glory be blessed more and more as the day approaches when, as we read in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In Jesus' saving name, amen.